Father, we just thank you for this morning, just an opportunity to look at your word and God help us to learn from it and to grow and to put it into practice. God, we do just thank you for the outpouring of all of this that's in front of us this morning on the stage. And God, just the people who, who provided this, actually, you just put it on their hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that this will be used as the team goes to Cambodia. We pray that you keep them safe, give them safe travels. But, God, more importantly, that your spirit would move through Cambodia and the villages that they'll be attending. That, God, through the help that they give, through being your hands and your feet, that they will reach them for your son, Jesus Christ. That they will share the good news. And that your spirit will just touch their hearts and they will put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray for Patty and Bill as they continue just to reflect and to just decide, Lord, what what is to be on their hearts. And so, Lord, we know that you watch over them. Just give them a time of rest, rejuvenation, and God, just a spirit to move forward. And Lord, we just pray and thank you for the men and women that sacrificed all for us, that we would have the freedom that we have today that other countries do not. And we thank and praise you for that. We, Lord, just pray that you be with the families that have lost loved ones through this. And, Lord, I just pray that you be with you this morning as we look at your word, and we just thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. And uh, Philippians gets its name from the city that the letter was addressed to by Paul. And I'm sure most of you probably knew that. So members of the Philippian church were mainly poor, um, but they gave out of their poverty, um, which even surprised Paul. Uh, He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I want to read that again. Isn't that They urgently pleaded with us. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping in God's will. So they gave out of their poverty. They pleaded to give. So Paul wrote Philippians to thank them for this generous gift. He was explaining to them why he was sending Epaphroditus to them. And he was advising them of his circumstances. He wrote this from prison. And to warn them about false teachers. So that's a little bit about Philippians. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3 in Philippians. And so in verse 1, finally, and that can be better translated furthermore or now then, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It is not trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. So Paul wants to, you know, further address some things. He's talked about some things in the first two chapters, but he wants to further address and actually kind of repeat some things. But also in that text, it says rejoice in the Lord. And we see rejoice or joy several times in Philippians. In Philippians 1.18, it says, but what does it matter? The important thing is 
that in every way, whether from false motives of true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. In chapter 2, 17 and 18, but even if I being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And we just read uh, verse 1 out of chapter 3 and then uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 10. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And the point is to rejoice in the Lord, even in spite of the outward concerns and issues, things that may be going on in our life. But the rejoicing exists because of your relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ. You're not necessarily rejoicing that you're going through those problems, but you can rejoice that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not happiness for some event or or something that's gone on positive in your life. It's pure joy knowing the confidence that you have in God's purpose for your life, whatever that is. Remember in Galatians 5.22, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It says, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Then he says, it is no trouble for me to write these things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. And it's something we always need to be on guard against. I mean, you can see a lot that's going on in the world today. We talked a little bit about this yesterday in men's Bible study. But there are false teachers just waiting to get a full hold. And so false teachers were attacking the church at Philippi, you know, about the rituals, ceremonies, traditions, legalism, you know, to truly be saved, you have to get circumcised and you have to obey the law. So he's reminding them again of the danger and wanted to reiterate this. So we always need to be on guard against false teachers, always, always. That's why it's so important that you read, study, and meditate on God's Word. You know, listen to good Bible teachers. That way you can immediately spot it when somebody's telling you something that you know is not right. So how about today? So people may come up and say, you know what? You're not saved or holy unless you wear a three-piece suit to church. Or a Hawaiian shirt. Um, skirts instead of pants or dresses instead of pants, culottes instead of pants. I mean, I've heard it all short hair, long hair, hats, no hats. You know, we church can't start till we light the candles. Can't start church to light the candles. There's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong. But when it supplants or replaces God's word, that's when it becomes a problem. And we have to remember that. Oh, and here's one. Here's one. I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but what if we had coffee and donuts before church instead of after church? What if we broke that tradition? What would happen? I've read, I've read about church splits over the color of the carpet. I mean, really, literally. That's why you basically have a First Baptist Church of Houston and a Second Baptist Church of Houston. I mean, I have, when I was younger, I have sat in meetings and seen serious arguments over the color of the carpet. I mean, really? That's a great idea. Just paint it. You know, 
So it really, I mean, it has nothing to do with getting to, getting into heaven. So, um, so don't get caught up in all this, you know, and oh, the seven deadly words. Anybody know what the seven deadly words were, are? We have always done it that way. I mean, we really need to be careful because we can get so entrenched of how we do things or the tradition that it replaces God's word. So we really, I mean, we really need to be careful. It doesn't, that doesn't make us spiritual. That doesn't, that isn't what matters in life. Then Paul goes on in verse 2 and he uses some strong language in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And he's referring to, to the false teachers and that is dogs. And now these are not your cuddly little dogs that sleep in bed with you at night or that you take to uh, the groomer to be groomed. That basically the term for that basically was wild scavenger dogs. You know, you, you know and here we have coyotes. Um, but these would have been wild scavenger dogs. They basically eat just about anything to satisfy their hunger or craving. And um, usually when that term dog is used, it's, it's a negative, it's kind of a negative slant towards someone such as a false teacher. And, you know, you think that may be a bit harsh, but we can't allow false teachers to get a foothold in the church. It's got to be confronted and it's got to be confronted immediately. And scavenger dogs, as you can imagine, they are dangerous. And so are false teachers. Um, I will tell you, and I know Pastor Bill has told you, if you hear something, you know, from me or that you don't think's right, go talk to them. Let's talk about it because maybe it's been misheard, you know, or maybe I did say something that is wrong. I need to be corrected. I need to be challenged. Well, not necessarily challenged, but you do want to discuss it. Because, you know, if I'm teaching something I should not be teaching, then I need to know that. So, um, pastors and elders, they're there to warn the congregation, ensure they know the truth, and not to add to it. The gospel, you're not to add to the gospel. In Second John, verse, um, in 2 John, verses 9 through 11, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in this wicked work. False teachers and false doctrine will kill a church. If it gets a foothold, it will literally destroy it. And that's what Satan wants. That's what Satan wants. You know, you need to know the truth and you need to identify false teachers. You know, I, I have a belief that churches that don't teach the Word of God, that basically they just kind of have those sermons that tickle your ears and make you feel good. Uh, you know, s Satan's not going to bother those churches. But those churches that are teaching the Word of God, that are impacting their community and their culture, those are the churches that Satan's going to attack. That's where the false teachers are going to go and try to put a wedge in. So we need to always be careful and identify false teachers. And you know, sometimes false teachers, they themselves are convinced that they're doing God's work. They're, they think they're teaching what God wants them to teach. That's why they're, sometimes they're just so set on what they're teaching. 
And, but many times, all they're doing is just peddling garbage, and they're out to get rich. In the verse, it refers to them as mutilators of the flesh. And this is basically, most likely referring to the Judaizers who were saying that you also, to be saved, you had to be circumcised and follow the law to be saved. And we know that's not true. And so Paul basically referred to them as mutilators of the flesh. In verse 3, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So basically circumcision had just become a, a, a ritual. It was an outward ritual that really meant nothing. They weren't holding to the covenant that had been handed down. It was just something they had to do. But there was no change, no true worship. And I know growing up, I grew up uh, in the 50s and the 60s. I'm kind of telling off on my age there. But I remember going visiting some of my relatives in the deep south. And they went to church because that's what you did on Sunday. I mean, that's just what you did. You know. Now, that doesn't mean that many of them did not know Christ. But there were some that didn't. They just went to church because that's what you did. And I'm going to tell off on my aunt. She's passed away. She's with the Lord. But I'm going to tell off on her. This is how impassioned she was about going to church on Sunday. Her oldest son had a wife that... It would take a hurricane to wake her up. And she actually, and this is a quote. She says, I went over there and beat on the door so long to wake her up. I thought I was going to have to take the hinges off the door to go wake her up so she could go to church. That's how impassioned she was. And that's great. But as long as you're going for the right reason, is are you going to church just to go to church? Are you going to church to worship the Lord in spirit? That's, that's the focus. That's the focus. So don't make it just something that you do. Make sure you do it because that's what you should do. You know, you go to church to learn, to be with fellow believers, to be accountable. So make sure your heart is right, that you're not doing it just to do it, but that you're doing it because your heart is right and that you believe in the one true God. You know, we do see it today. We see, you know, we say the right, you know, and, and you may have run across folks. We say the right things. We wear the right clothes. We carry the latest Bible translation. We show up to church, um, but there's no change in our heart and it's all worthless and we can't we cannot worship by the Spirit of God if our heart's not changed. And that's what God wants. God is always looking in the heart, all the way back to the Old Testament. We talk about this sometimes on, on Monday nights. You know, it's all external, but it's never internal. And it's basically meaningless. And so make sure that, you know, you are taking in reading and meditating on God's word, that you are taking that to heart and you truly have a changed heart towards Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling us that our hearts have been circumcised and we can truly worship God. This is not just singing, but it's living an obedient life of service to God. So it's not just coming in and going through the outward rituals, but it's an obedient service to God. This should permeate every aspect of our life. 
everything that we do, if it affects all aspects of our life, then we can rest in God and know that he's in control no matter what's going on and find peace no matter the circumstances. And I know that's tough sometimes, you know, no matter what you may be going through. But if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you can rejoice in that. You don't necessarily like maybe the circumstances you're going through. That's not what you're rejoicing in, but you can rejoice in the fact that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. When you have a change in heart and truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we can say, as in the last part of Philippians 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. We should be putting all of our confidence in God. Verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for, le- as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul knew Judaizers were going to go this way, and he beat them to the punch with this verse, with these two verses. And basically, he recounted he gave him his autobiography basically what he gave him he walked through where he came from and who he was he tells him i was circumcised on the eighth day just like the law requires he says i'm of the tribe of benjamin that's where the first king came from king saul came from the tribe of benjamin you know he says benjamin is also if you're aware of the promised land technically Benjamin was the first or was the only child that was born out of the brothers in the promised land. Like I said, this is the first, this was the tribe where the first king came from, King Saul. Uh, Paul basically was a Jew's Jew. I mean, he studied the scriptures. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And um, if anyone should have confidence in the law, it should have been Paul. The outward circumcision, the rituals he went through, that was him. But you know what? That was not the case. Paul, Paul was even the chief persecutor of the church where he went out and was persecuting Christians. Remember, the first martyr was Stephen, and Paul was there. So anyone could look at Paul at that time and would think, that's who I want to be like. He was just like super He was doing what he thought he should be doing. He was. So what would it be like in our day? And then we kind of talked a little bit about this. You know, you're you're at the church every time the doors are open. Uh, I go to every Bible study I can squeeze in. I read my Bible. I'm baptized. I do the right things. But I'm going to get right back to it. If your heart's not in it, it's not really for God. So where does that leave you? Paul was telling them that if any of that made a difference, he of all people would be in great shape. But we know that's not the case. Verses 7 and 9. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So now that he explains, if you take everything that we just saw in verses 5 and 6, he says, as prophet, they don't impress God. All those things that he was doing, that, that didn't impress God. It doesn't get him to salvation. He thought it did. He thought he was doing the right things. So all of that, everything put into it, he now considers lost, gone. But that's okay because he's for Christ. It is far greater to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and lose everything than to not have Christ. This is an intimate knowing of Christ. I mean, an intimate knowing of Christ, not just, yeah, I go to church, everything's fine. You know, I pray once in a while, no big deal. But this is an intimate knowing of Christ that we have, not some casual, casual relationship. This is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give up all things for this relationship. He goes on and calls this rubbish. All those things that he was doing, he referred to as rubbish. And another way to translate that is waste, dung, manure, excrement. I mean, that's what he thought of all of that now. This is how strongly Paul felt with what he had been doing. And he traded it all in to follow Christ. The little phrase, in him, is actually found more than 75 times in Paul's epistles or letters. Paul had spent so much time trying to obtain his righteousness through his own efforts. And by keeping the law and the rituals, outward morality and works. But it was all in the flesh. It wasn't from God. When Paul did see the light, and I always kind of say kind of literally, when he saw the light on the road to Damascus, he saw his sin. It was revealed. He understood that he was headed in the wrong direction. So all those carnal works, all those things that he was doing meant nothing. But he now professed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he was saved by grace. Amen? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And here's what Paul writes in Romans. And if you guys were here on Wednesday night, one night you probably received a lot of these verses. They kind of refer to it as the Roman roads, uh, Roman road. But here's what Paul, I'm going to read the verses from Romans. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everyone. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love for us in that, <clears throat> for us in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and I've circled this, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It was with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
In Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And 8, and 1, 8, 1, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's where we're to have our faith. That's where our heart should be. So Paul saw a sin. He saw that following all those rituals and persecuting Christians, he was working against God and not with God. He confessed his sin. He confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He believed it in his heart. Everything else was pure rubbish. It was not worth counting. All the other things that he had been doing. And he wanted the Philippians to stay on course. Not to fall to false teachers. And I know that's what Pastor Bill wants. I know that's what Eric wants. I know that anyone here that is teaching you the word of God, that's what we want. We want you to stay straight, stay focused on Jesus Christ and not fall to the left or to the right or be dragged off into some false doctrine. In Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing and his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul knew what he was doing before now was useless. That he called it rubbish. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That, that Christ showed power over the physical and spiritual world. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Just as, just as Paul did. And the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And we'll look at 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the spirit. In Romans 8.11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Who lives in you. The spirit that lived in Paul lives in you. That same power. Paul was such a great testimony with all that he did and all that he suffered. Christ suffered more than we can ever imagine. Probably, I guess the closest I could come to is the movie The Passion. I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal if you've ever seen it. I mean, that is just... I just could not even imagine going through that. But you know, Paul suffered also. Paul knew this. I mean, Paul caused some of the suffering before he came to know Christ. Um, but Paul also was beaten and left outside the city to die. Um, so he, he knows. He was jailed. So he knows what the suffering. And so he knew he would suffer for Christ. And he was willing to do that, to be able to share the good news and the hope that was in him. He knew through all this, God was watching over him. And the power of the Holy Spirit was with him, within him. In Philippians 3.11, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew he'd share in Christ's sufferings. You know, we, we've read that. And, but he also knew he was going to share in the resurrection. And that's a hope that we all have. That all of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know we will share in that resurrection. What's sad is we see in Matthew 19, where we read about a young man that came to a point that, you know, I've kept all the points of the law. What else can I do? And Jesus responded. He said, go sell everything and come follow me. 
Well, unfortunately, the young man went away sad. He couldn't do that. He couldn't let go of the world and the worldly things. But Paul did. Paul really was set up to to be in good shape. I mean, he was well respected in the Jewish community and all that he was doing. But he gave all that up because he knew when he turned his heart to Christ. Philippians 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was definitely a spiritual giant. He'd studied under the best and he even came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. But he was letting the Philippians know by no means had he obtained perfection. He he would not even begin to entertain that. He'd grown a lot. He was a true witness for Christ. Paul stated, I press on, basically which means to run or follow after, is what he was saying. He was determined. Christ... Christ wants us to be like him. We are to continue to pray, study his word, and to put into practice. That's important. We can become spiritual giants, but if we don't put into practice what we've learned, are we really doing what Christ wants us to do? We know that now, we know that we'll never be perfect here on earth, but we do know that when we we get to that, finish that goal, When we get to heaven, we will be perfect. You know, but while we're here, we're to study, we're to pray, we're to put his word into practice. And we're to look at others and follow their example. You know, we know they're not perfect and know they're going to stumble sometimes. But there are people that that you do want to kind of be your mentors, you know, to be discipled by. And you want to be able to do that. And, you know, the Christian life is a long, lifelong pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness, pursuing Christ-likeness. And that was the Lord's goal for Paul. And that should be our goal, is that we want to pursue to be Christ like Christ. But we know while we're here, we will never be perfect. But that doesn't mean we should give up. We should continue, and that's what he's saying. We should be straining toward the goal Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul referred to the Philippians as brothers, and this was a term of endearment. And this sentence is aimed at the false teachers, because there were false teachers, and looking at this, there were, there were some of the false teachers who believed they could obtain perfection while here on earth. And that's what they were trying to, trying to teach. And we need to be on guard on that because we know that's not the case. We're imperfect. We, we, we sin. But by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know and follow him. We know that we can rest and be with him and be perfect someday. So false teachers could, some believe they could attain perfection here on earth, but we know that's not true. And Paul indicates in verse 13, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, I'm not sure if there's any runners in here, but it's a good bet that if you continually look back to see who's catching up to you, 
you're going to slow down. You might even lose the race. Or this is the one that I like, and, and my wife can attest to this. You got that running back. He's got the ball, and, I mean, he's headed for that goal line, right? And what does he do? He starts looking over his shoulders. And what happens is the tackler catches up to him. And, you know, I'm sitting there screaming at the TV, run, don't look back. And he ends up getting tackled at the one-yard line. We need to be going forward, putting it. So Paul wants us to look forward. He wants us to know our end goal. Just as God forgets our sin, we are not to look back and dwell on it. Satan loves that because that can slow you down. That can slow you down and walk with the Lord. You know, when God gets you, or when Satan gets you in a position that you're dwelling on your sin, you know, you've confessed that sin, you've put it behind you. Satan will bring it up. He will bring it up and bring it up. And that will slow you down. So Paul put his past behind him. Just think of it. He persecuted the church. The rituals, the traditions. He called all that rubbish. He focused on Christ and moving forward. We can't live, you know, and we can't even relive our past victories. You know, we can continue to move forward and victories are great. um, But they shouldn't consume us. Because you should always be moving forward. Um, and I actually used some of this in talking to the sales folks that used to work for me. I managed the sales force from the Tijuana, from the Mexican border all the way up to the Canadian border. And, you know, salespeople, you have goals. I mean, that's, that's just a fact of life. You have a goal. Every year you sit down and, and you get your goals laid out and you've got to hit those goals. And you have great victories through the year, especially if, if you do well and, and you hit those goals, then next year your goals get raised a little bit. But you don't want to dwell on those victories too long. And because I'm a firm believer as, as a salesperson that if you don't need what I'm selling, there's no sale. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to say any fancy words that will get you to buy something you don't need. Because if you don't need my product, if I get you to buy it and it doesn't work the way it should, you're going to be a miserable customer and I'm going to be a miserable salesperson. So my goal is that we always have a win-win situation. And those wins are great and those victories are great. But as a salesperson, if you continue to revel in those victories and don't continue to look forward, you could end up missing your goal. Because you've stayed too long trying to, you know, bask in those victories that you've been in. So you want to continue to look forward and drive forward. And that's not always an easy thing to do. We should not be looking back. You know, sure, you can look at those circumstances in life that got you where you are today. And those are great to be able to use to share with other individuals, people that you may be talking to. Because, you know, things that have impacted your life, but how you've conquered that through Christ, those are great testimonies that you can share with people, that you're sharing about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But don't let them get into the way of moving forward and always advancing. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul knows perfection cannot be attained here on earth, but he knows that pressing on toward that goal, which the finish line is heaven, is attainable. We know that. And here's what he had to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but able to, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's when Paul would receive the prize that he was pursuing. In Philippians 3.15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You know, all of us as Christians, we should take that view, that goal that we're, that we're shooting for. And, you know, we know sometimes in life there's things that we're not always going to agree on. And that's okay. But, you know, through prayer, reading, studying his word, you know, and yielding to the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes that, you know, especially as believers, if there's, there's a disagreement there. It's a good opportunity for us to get together, sit down and pray together because we have the same spirit. And the same spirit that's in us eventually will bring us to the same conclusion. Whether I'm right or you're right, it will bring us to the same conclusion. We should not continue to argue and disagree over that. So just yield to the direction of the Holy Spirit and see that in the end, what we want to do is be Christ-like. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So keep going forward. Don't veer to the left. Don't veer to the right. Keep going straight ahead. You know, when I learned to drive, I had a bad habit. And Man, my dad hated this, but I don't, you know, as you're learning how to drive, if you focus on the center line, what happens? You veer towards that center line. Or, you know, you hear about highway patrolmen getting hurt in accidents on the freeway. And big part of that is you're driving down the road and you see the accident and you're so focused on the accident. Where do you go? You go right into where the accident is. And it, it does happen. And that's why we need to keep our eyes on Christ. We need to keep going forward. You know, we talked about having a mentor or someone to help disciple us. And that's important. But remember, those individuals are not perfect. They do make mistakes. And Dustin, can you come up just a moment? (laughs) He has no idea what's going to happen. So turn and face that way. Now, Dustin, right? Good leader, good godly man, you know, love him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emulate Dustin, and I'm going to study my word. I'm going to do those things. But I always know, too, I have to keep my eyes on Christ. So as we're moving forward, what happens if Dustin falls and he moves to the right? Where should I go? Keep my eyes on Christ. Because we know, thanks, we, <laughs> we know... <laughs> We know that we're all human and we do make mistakes. But you know what? If you confess those mistakes or that sin and ask for forgiveness, God will forgive us of our sins. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. But that should not keep us from being discipled by someone else or being mentored by someone else. Keep your eyes on Christ. Because if that person does go to the right or to the left, your eyes are still on Christ and you're going forward. Verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, 
Many, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul was wanting them to Paul was wanting them to have the drive that he had. He wanted them to strive for the goal. However, there are godly men and women we can learn from, just like we were saying. We can imitate them, you know, as long as they are staying on the straight and narrow. And like I said, we know they're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. But Paul wants us to continue striving to be Christ-like. You know... And I've said this before, you know, it's, it's like our kids. What do our kids do? They watch more what we do than what we say. And that's, you know, that's just human nature. And today, I mean, today it's, oh, it's so, it's so bad. It says, you're watching politics, right? You watch people's speeches. Do their words match their actions? That is so frustrating, you know, that you watch that and you just know that they are nothing like what many of them are, are claiming to be. But Paul's words matched his actions. And that should be us. We would want to emulate somebody like Paul. In verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Beware of false teachers. This was such concern to Paul. He had tears. You know, it hurts when you've invested time and energy into someone and they end up turning their back on Christ. It really, because, I mean, it's, it's just painful. Um, and Marjorie and I did, did youth work for, for quite some time between junior high, high school, and college. And, you know, there are... There are successes, and many times you don't see that until they've gotten older. But those seeds have been planted. But then some of them just went off the rails. And it, and it just hurt because you invest so much time and energy. And you see that they just, they, just, they just went off the rails. There's just no other way to explain it. And it does bring you to tears because you just know they, that they've turned against God. Philippians 3.19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And we can really get wrapped up in the world. I mean, it is so easy, especially today. I mean, it's, um, you talk about all of, between the smartphones and the tablets and the computers and, I mean, especially the smartphones, because it really is basically just a handheld computer. I mean, they are so powerful. They get more powerful every year and can be so distracting. And, you know, it, we, and we have everything at our fingertips with those. I mean, just think about it, the things that you have. You can have every translation of the Bible in your hand. But at the same time, you've got access to every porn site in the world. Talk about distraction. And there's nothing wrong with technology. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's how it's used. It's like anything. So verse 19 kind of says it all. They're false teachers. Their thoughts are only what they want. And they don't have their mind on Christ. Verse 20. But... And there's that word again. And I know you think, oh, there's always something negative after but. But guess what? This time, there's something positive. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, 
So sometimes something positive does follow, but. So they would have recognized in Philippi, when he referred to them as citizens, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. And they would have recognized this because Philippi was actually a Roman colony. And the people that lived there, they had full citizenship as being a Roman. And they actually would have had certain privileges, like certain taxes they wouldn't have paid and things like that because of who they were. And that's like us. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're here on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we will have privileges that come with that. And we can, you know, we can eagerly await a Savior. We know. And we know he's coming back. But we're to keep pressing forward. We're to keep working to be more Christ-like until that day comes. And in 321, it says, Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And that day is coming. We know it's coming. And he'll bring everything under his control and we'll be like him. So I just have a few questions for you this morning. Are you pressing forward and are are you allowing the past to drag you down? Are you stuck in a rut? Do you have those... Do you, do you have those who can, you can confidently imitate? Have you identified someone in your life that can help disciple you or mentor you? Um, many times, one-on-one is a great way to do it. Do you, have the, do you study and pray that God will continue to do a work in you? Dustin just went through inductive Bible study a few weeks ago, so I would really encourage you to kind of dust those notes off. Dig into the scripture, read each day, meditate on God's word, and yield to the Holy Spirit. And allow him to push you towards being more like Christ. Knowing it can't be attained today, but it's a goal that we should be shooting for. And knowing that we, when we reach heaven, we will have reached that goal and we will be like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and... Just thank you for what you would have us to learn. God, just always help us to be on guard against false teachers. And God, help us be true to your word. Help us to dig and understand and know and allow your Holy Spirit to teach us as we read and study. Lord, keep our leaders on a straight and narrow and help us, God, to follow them, to watch over them, pray for them, all of our leaders, whether it's government leaders or church leaders. God, they need your... we. They need our prayers to lift them up and support them in all that they do. God, again, we just pray for those going to Cambodia and just the outpouring that we've seen here. And we pray that there'll be a great work there. All for your glory, Lord, not ours. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.